Hey everyone, this episode of Brass Bonanza is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season, everything from NFL and bowl season to esports. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable. We're the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite leagues and events. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BLEAV, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online, where the game starts. Today on Brass Bonanza, a Whalers podcast, we're going to talk to Howard Baldwin Jr., the son of the Whalers owner. He's got some great stories about growing up with the team, hanging out with guys like Ray Ferraro, Ron Francis, Ulf Samuelson, and Kevin Deneen. Hope you guys enjoy. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. This is Brass Bonanza. We call this the, the podcast that's dedicated to keeping the memory of your favorite hockey team alive. And I know that you have some very deep roots with this team. Give me some of your first memories of you and your family being around the Whalers. Well, it's kind of like when you were writing the book, I told you it's, you know, started out with the grandfather being Gordy Howe, you know. And so I remember the big, the roof collapsing and wondering if my dad was okay during the collapse. I didn't know he was in Quebec, you know? And so at a young age, we just, my uh, brother and sister grew up with this team. And uh, we had, as I call them, the uncles were the WHA guys. Mm -hmm. And they were the real rebel guys. They were definitely, you know, some great, great guys. And then obviously the 86 guys were the brothers, you know what I mean? But uh, it's a great, roots of a franchise that I dearly, dearly love. Your dad put you to work for the team yeah. at a relatively early age. When did you start working with, in, in the book, you tell a lot of good stories about Skip Cunningham. When did you start working with legendary equipment manager Skip Cunningham? <laughs> well, Skip, actually, when I come in and want to skate with the team at like eight or nine, Skip would tie my skates, do all that kind of thing. And then, uh, he, uh, I started working for him at 12 years old, which is probably against the child labor laws, but who cared? <laughs> uh, and so I started working for him at 12 and 13, and they wouldn't let me work the home team because my dad, obviously, in his position, but they let me do the visiting team. So I was basically the visiting stick boy. And then as the position grew, I got to go back over to the Whaler side and go on the bench each night for Whaler games. So it was great. You told me a story about working with Skip and having to deal with the Canadians who asked for all the free tape they could. Walk me through that story and, and, and what happened and, and, and how it all turned out. So Eddie Polchek, which is a legendary trainer for the Montreal Canadiens, he was known for always wanting, wanting, wanting. And, he, and so I went over to Skip and I said, well, you know, Eddie wants this. And uh, Skip says, tell him, no, you know, no effing way. Skip was like under his breath. So when Eddie asked me, he goes, well, what did Skip say? And I said, well, he told me no effing way. Skip <laughs> and then it got back to Skip. Skip said, I didn't know you were literally going to repeat my conversation. Back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, there's also a, another great story when the Whalers were getting crushed. You know, they uh, they would get a case of beer after the game. Well, Skip didn't know I would take it across the ice because it was quicker. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I took this, you know, the case of beer across the ice 
and people are wondering why the whalers are getting sloshed is because they got a 14, 15-year-old kid bringing them cases of uh, Coors Light across the ice <laughs> into the locker room. Skip said, I thought you were going to go around. I didn't think you'd go across the ice. So that was that was a pretty good story. He was one of those guys that he was a thread for you know you talked about the the guy, the WHA guys who were your uncles and the 86 guys yeah. were your brothers what what was skip in in that you know if if you if you extend the familial equation what was skip would would he be a you know a, a helpful older brother or a you know kind of a I'd say, I'd say he's a stepdad that maybe uh him you know stepdad basically mm-hmm. he was he was he is one of the greatest greatest people I've ever met ever he was you know he wasn't boisterous he wasn't braggocious he was just skip you know what I mean he was just a calm calm force and I'm you know listen I I caused many gray hairs on his head but he he is just one of the most outstanding guys and it's amazing because he's he's the longest survivor of that of that franchise it's really interesting because casual fans of the whalers might not know that he was there really from the start and he was there all through new england he was there through hartford and the move to carolina and so you want to talk one of the things that i was able to do in the book was get a lot of stories that i didn't necessarily know from a guy who saw everything who was there from yeah. the very very beginning he saw i mean if you want i mean he saw everything there's i tell him all the time recently to sit down with you and have he, you write his book for him because he has so many good i mean so many good stories and so much knowledge that uh about the team it's, it's it really is amazing and then the fact that he went down to carolina I, I can't believe the only thing I'm upset about is they have not honored him mm-hmm. at a Carolina game. Mm-hmm. You know, they did the Carolina Hall of Fame. They should have put him in first. Yeah. I mean, really, yeah. there's nobody that's more deserving of it than him. I, I'm curious. You, you talk about the WHA guys as your uncles, and you mentioned Gordy. Were you old enough to really understand who Gordy was? I, I know that you had a different kind of relationship with some of these players just because, you know, your, your familial connection to the yeah. team. but. At the time, I, and it's funny. I talked to a lot of guys. A lot of guys were like, "Well, Gordy was just another teammate." You know, he of course he was Mister Hockey, and he was a legend. But that didn't mean he was above, you know, goofing around in the locker room. You know, giving you crap, whatever the case may be. What kind of relationship did you have with Gordy when he was there? Yeah, you know, he was he was like that grandfather type, and I never knew how tough Gordy Howe was. I heard some of the stories, but at thirteen, fourteen, you're not comprehending. It wasn't till Skip would send me out with the old timers games when they would go out into around places where I realized a a kid took Gordy's skates out from under him. And then uh, Gordy did not take kindly to that. And then he wrapped the stick around the kid and said, (laughs) I would not do that again. And the kid got off the ice, took his skates off and left the rink. And that is where then I went to skip and I told him what happened. And he told me, well, you ain't seen nothing yet, you know? <laughs> and that's when I kind of knew the legendary Gordy Howe. But, you know, to me, he was just Gordy. He was just, he was just a grandfather type. Mm-hmm. You could ask him for advice. He would work with me on my slap shot. He would work with me on my skating. I mean, he was just a real, real quality guy. You had those teams, uh, those WHA teams, then the transition came along. 
And there were a couple of lean years in the NHL. It sounds like from our conversations, you got a little crap at school from, you know, classmates, from friends, whatever the case may be. What was that like for you when the Whalers were winning, what was it, 18, 19 games a year? It it must have been difficult at times. Uh, I mean, there are some days I would cry myself before going to school. I'd be like, this is just going to be the most brutal day. You know, the teachers would tell me my dad sucked. I mean, if they did that in today's day and age, you'd never get away with it. But it was it was brutal. I mean, it was really brutal. And uh, funny story is Kevin Deneen came to my school and saw me getting grabbed. And so what happened was he came back to the locker room the next day and said, listen, so, someone's got to sit him down and, and, and teach him how to at least defend himself for the first four minutes until somebody gets here. You know, and so uh, Ronnie, but Ronnie said, no, 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 wait, wait, we'll have Ulfie do it. And so <laughs> Ulfie sat me down and says, the, the key is to annoy them and laugh and smile at them. That will make them go into oblivion mode. So when I and it worked, it worked. So finally, when, you know, people would do that, the teacher would tell me your dad should get fired and this and that. I would smile at him. And and it, and it worked. It really did work. You had some tough guys on that team, too. Not in addition uh, to Ulfie. Look, Ulfie was a bit of a provocateur. I think we can yeah. both agree on that. But, you know, you had guys in, in that the, the mid 80s teams you know, like Tory Robertson was afraid, never afraid to drop the gloves. Nope. And so he would th- this is, you know, Ron, he would work with me with that speed bag. You know, he would work with me and, and show me how to defend myself and how to grab the shirt. I mean, he was like, but then Ronnie being the peacemaker, Ronnie was Ronnie was one of the best older brothers anybody could have in life. He was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, what I mean, Let, let's do it this way first. You know, what I mean, and mm-hmm. so it was kind of kind of funny. What was the reaction like when you when you brought Ron Francis to school for show and tell? Oh, it was great. It was really great. I just, you know, I look back and I laugh, you know what I mean? I just, I loved Ronnie every day. I, I cherished every day I had with him. And, uh, you know, when, when my dad left the whales and they stripped him of the sea, I was, I was just totally heartbroken. And so, but yeah, I can't, I can't say enough good things. I mean, all the kids were really jealous and, and it was, but it was, he was just such a quality. You could go to Ronnie with any kind of problem. I mean, he taught me how to balance a checkbook. He taught, I mean, so many things. He brought me over for Easter, Thanksgiving. I had a lot of lot of um, meals with him, so it was great. You told me a story, and I think this was against the Devils, and correct me yeah. if I'm wrong, but you yeah. were in charge of putting kind of box lunches or sandwiches on the opposing team's bus after the game, and you didn't take too kindly to the way that they treated Ron during the game, did you? Yeah, no, I was I was really sour. So by that skip put Bob Gorman under to watch me just to make sure things wouldn't go sideways. So Bobby had me put all the lunches on the bus. So as I was putting them all, I took a bite out of each sandwich. <laughs> so when they got back on the bus and went back to New Jersey, they knew that someone had got, got into their lunch and they'd be hungry. I, I mean, I thought it was the best way to get back at them. So... It's it's funny we we talk about the greatness of those mid '80s teams, and you know you mentioned Ron and what he meant to the franchise, and you know you kind of alluded to Kevin there as well. Uh, you know, Ulfie being a, a bit of a you know kind of a spark plug and a guy who would kind of you know poke the bear a little bit, no pun intended. And then 
there was also Ray Ferraro. You had complimentary players in that, in that conversation, like Ray Ferraro, who yep. really, it was funny. I, I had a conversation with Paul Lawless and, and he described Ray Ferraro as just a legendary world-class chirper. What was he like to kind of hang around with? Believe it or not, Ray Ferraro. So when you talk about all the guys, we'll, we'll go back to Ray Ferraro. Like Mike Liute, he had as a 6, 15, 16, he had, he, he had the talk. He had the talk with me mm-hmm. that uh, that fathers are supposed to have with their sons. He had the talk with me because I had a, a girlfriend at the time. Mm-hmm. And he was like, listen, let me take you aside here and let me have the talk with you. OK, and you go and you're very when you talk to Mike Liu, he's very lawyerish. And he, he but he was such a great older brother the way he sat me down. If I ever had a problem with math or he would sit me down, do my homework with me and all that, believe it or not, Ray Ferraro chirped at me all the time about my dad, (laughs) all the time. He was relentless. He was relentless and there's nothing I could do about it. Mm -hmm. So finally, Ronnie told him to knock it off. You know what I mean? Don't do it anymore. You know, because it was it was like kind of rubbing me a little bit. And you learn as a person, as I tell my kids today. If you're not, they're not teasing you. That means they don't love you. Mm-hmm. And so that it was a really, it was, it was really inspiring. Cause my kids are like, I can't believe you put up with all that. And it's just part of life. I loved it. Th- those teams were just so I, I try and explain, cause I grew up in Connecticut, obviously grew up on those teams. And I try and explain to people what they meant to the state of Connecticut. Because again, I, I always go back to the idea, look, this was before UConn basketball, men's and women's, became the all-consuming monolith that it is now. The Whalers were it, man. The Whalers were our team, and they, they were the center of sports, your sports life in Connecticut on a regular basis. What uh, what other stories do you have, and what other memories do you have specific about the 86-87, kind of that, that era of that team being around that team at that time, it must've been incredibly exciting. Yeah. Well, they were an underdog, you know what I mean? And that's what really was great. When that Kevin Deneen scored that goal in Montreal or in the civic center um, against Montreal was, it was just the underdog kind of a life. And they came back and they, they pulled it together. I remember email Francis speaking at the booster club saying, listen, we're a few points down. I'll tell you that email, Francis, when he gave that speech at that booster club, my hair on my arm singed, okay, stood up. And those guys came back. They came. They beat Quebec. They got on to Montreal. I mean, that was an unbelievable ride. Unbelievable ride, you know. And so they're a very inspiring team. And they were proud. Like my dad said, they're the Green Bay. You know, Hartford is what the Green Bay is, basically. It, it really was. It was an exciting time to be a sports fan in Connecticut and be a sport and be a fan of the Whalers specifically because it appeared like they were on the cusp of breaking through and being a consistent Stanley Cup contender. You know, you look back at that year when the Canadians beat him in, in overtime in game seven. It's a couple of guys have mentioned this to me. Look, if, if they beat the Canadians, they handled the Rangers. They were supposed to play the Rangers in the next round. And then if they would have gotten to the Stanley Cup finals, that was the year that Gretzky and the Oilers we're yeah. not in it, and they had just absolutely waxed the Flames both times they played them. And so yeah. you could make an argument that that team, if they had found a way to win that Game 7, could very well have won the Stanley Cup. And and then who knows if they'd won the Stanley Cup, what would happen? Yeah, who knows? But that, that really, 
that it's just that team was on fire and it was destined to win that cup. And so it's just obviously it was too bad the results. But anybody who has a parade, a town that has a parade for somebody who loses in the second round of the playoffs, and that that says something about those those guys and how special they were. What people don't understand is the next year they won the Adam. Uh, I think it was next year they came mm-hmm. on. They started slow, but then they won the Adams Division Championship. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the cat had enough churn from the 86, 87 team to that 88 or that, that team that won that Adams division. There's maybe a mix of guys, a little few new guys, but they went on to win that, win that championship that next year. And that's, that was getting on a roll. Obviously the Nordiques kind of (laughs) threw a monkey wrench into the situation and and ended up upsetting them in the first round. I, I, and then things kind of started to backslide a little bit And, and tell me, when you had a feeling that things had kind of started to turn for that team in a, in a not great direction. You know, I'll tell you my own opinion. When Don Conrad and Richard, it has nothing to do with my dad. It, my dad should have actually, you know, he could have fought harder, but you know, Don Con, they had a team, the corporate community decided, Hey, listen, we want out, whatever mm-hmm. they, they had Don Conrad and Richard Gordon. Don Conrad wasn't the problem. It, it was Richard Gordon. That was the problem. And then what happened was, is that that slide started. Popular guys got traded out. And I'll just say, Richard Gordon listened to the wrong people. Ivan Lendl, who wants to talk about leadership, but his sport required one. You know what I mean? And the and then obviously the Ronnie Francis trade did it, but it was on the slide before the, it was a little bit on the slide before the Ron, Ron, the Francis trade. Mm-hmm. That's just my opinion. That's just yeah. my opinion. Yeah. It, it was, it was, there were, I, I, you could go back and look at a combination of things in that, that led up to them moving. But, but I always point, you know, the pivot point for the franchise for me was still the, the Francis trade was that was the trade that sent him to Pittsburgh on a number yeah. of levels, including the fact that, look, Ron wanted to be in, we could get, get into this a little bit later on, but Ron wanted to be in Hartford. And that was rare for an NHL superstar who wanted to be there, who wanted, and, and guys then wanted to play with him. Guys wanted to be a part of what he, what he was helping create. And you trade away a guy like that. You not only lose the on ice oomph you get from a guy like that, but you also lose an attraction a draw you know on ice guys wanted to be a part of that guys wanted to play with ron francis and they lost it when they traded it yeah it's like i was saying uh peter uh they blame peter carmanos but richard gordon single-handedly i'm telling you right now he the little 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 things got rid of that franchise and it just started a snowball effect. And that Ronnie trade, I mean, look who made the trade. Eddie Johnson made the trade, and then, you know, he ends up in Pittsburgh. I mean, how he got away with that trade, who who knows? And uh, it's 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 very sad because the, the team never had to leave. That's what's de- devastating about it. It never had to leave. The great Ray Ferraro quote said that, you know, we, we all heard that, you know, Eddie Johnson wanted to win a Stanley Cup. He just didn't know he wanted to win it in Pittsburgh. This was when he was the GM of the waivers. So yeah, and what people don't understand is is that when EJ, Eddie came to uh, EJ came to Pittsburgh, my dad told Craig Patrick, "Listen, you have to make it right with Ronnie. 
you know, my dad has been in love with Ron Francis and we, you know, we cherish Ronnie. So when he came to Pittsburgh, you know, it was kind of funny. You just got to make sure that, you know, Ronnie's okay with it, mm-hmm. you know? So. Is it a stretch to, to say, and it's funny, I've talked to your dad about Ron as well. And I talked to Ron a little bit. Is it a stretch to make a comparison? The way that Robert Kraft felt about Tom Brady that is, is the same way that, that your father felt about Ron Francis. Yeah, I think that's a very similar. Uh, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Um, funny when I was back with the uh, Connecticut Whale working in Hartford and spent a winter there, I saw Richard Gordon in a Bruger's Bruger's Bagels in line, and he was up ready to order his bagel. And I said, I yelled out in the back, I said, "Glad that Francis trade really worked out for you." And I turned around real quick so he didn't see where it was coming from. <laughs> he did one of those 360 degrees, you know. And so, but yeah, that's uh, that's that's definitely a great analogy for it. I, I just go back to that trade. And like I said, you know, you, you can look at that trade. And then there were a series of bad personnel moves in the early 90s. But it, it really, in my mind, started with that trade. And then you also, you know, you talk about the rise of UConn basketball, the Tate George jump shot to beat Clemson that really signaled the arrival of the UConn men's program happened, what, roughly a year or so before the trade. And there's a series of events. You go from that to that to that to that to that, and that leads you up to to 1997 when the the team ended up moving away. I'm curious, you guys at the – once once you guys ended your association with the Whalers, your father joined, joined up with the Penguins. Yes. Yep. What was he, that? What he, was that like? What was that transition like for you? Well, it was kind of saying, you know, you spend your whole time with one team. You love that one team. And then you go to another team. And it, it was sad. It was it was definitely sad. I mean, but I guess I was with the same cast of characters a little bit. I mean, I was with Ronnie. OK, so it, that from that point of view was great. OK. And one of my favorite guys is Mary, you know, second favorite guy. I loved everybody, but I tell you, Mario Lemieux was was the most classiest. Guy. I mean, he was really, really good. Mm-hmm. But I guess being from Hartford, being new to something, kind of your homesick, your belly's kind of hurting. It wasn't that. I don't want to sound like a baby, but Ronnie really, really. I mean, he took me to my first Steeler game. I mean, he really made paved ways for me. He knew I was only twenty years old. I mean, I mean. I was, again, I was only 20 when I when I got with Pittsburgh, and he really paved the way. He helped it. I mean, he is one of the best older brothers ever. No, he, he's he's. It, it's funny. Everyone uses. There are a lot of guys that I've talked to use that analogy. Guys who covered the team, you know, going back mm-hmm. and talking to you know Mike Mike Adams, going back and talking to guys who played with him, Deneen. They mm-hmm. they all use that analogy that that he was a great older brother. He was a guy who looked out for you. He was a guy who made sure that that everything would ultimately work out in the end. And that trade really signaled the beginning of the end for yeah. for the the Hartford Whalers. Your father made a few attempts in in recent years to bring professional hockey back to Connecticut. Tell tell me a little bit about that and your involvement in that. Well, he. You know, he always prided himself. He wanted to uh, go back, try to do something nice for Hartford and Connecticut. And uh, so he brought, he tried to do the outdoor game, which was great. It was a great success. But then he, he ran into interference with Governor Malloy. Malloy wanted to be the guy. We had a big old meeting with everybody, and Malloy mocked my dad in the meeting. 
he was like, man, you just all Hartford whalers. And I being me, unfortunately, he said, I said, excuse me. I said, what's so wrong about being passionate about something you love, you know, and it kind of startled. So I had my dad look glare at me from across the table, like, tell me you didn't just say that, you know, but it's true. We're passionate about the whale. Yeah. We're passionate about Hartford. There's been no other person and I'm not putting them on a pedestal, but tell me another person besides Bob Crawford. Okay. But the outdoor game brought a lot of people back to Hartford. Even the, the thing they did in the summer, Mark Willan did that, that summer fest. Mm -hmm. They had all those people. A lot of people go back and they care about that area. And I don't see many, too many people doing it. And so when he criticized my dad for having too much passion, I, I just couldn't help myself for not saying something. Well, it's a good thing. It's a good yeah. thing to have that passion. It's a good thing to to care that much about yeah. something. And it speaks to, I, I really believe it speaks to what, what people feel about this team, the way they feel about this team. I'm curious to get your take on this. I'm, I'm, I ask everyone on this podcast, what is it about this team that still endures for people that, that, that is so memorable that 25 years after they've left, we're still talking about it. You know, when I, when I started putting the book together, people were like, well, you know, they're not doing a book on the, the California golden seals, for example, yeah. or the Atlanta flames or something that this team right. still resonates with a lot of people. Why do you think that's the case? Cause I got to tell you, I think that the, the grandfather was the greatest guy in hockey the uncles, all those WHI guys, there's not one bad WHA guy. And all the brothers, all those teams, there was really not any bad, bad players, bad, great, great human being, beings. Look at all the people that have played for the Hartford Whalers. Great people, great town, great support in a mall where every team would want to play in now. Okay. And then you had a booster club that was amazing. And you had the the greatest fans. I mean, it, it's it's just um, remarkable when you look at it. It's so sad the way they left because they didn't have to leave, you know. It and I will say this: if Gary Bettman fought for Hartford the way he did Phoenix, okay, that you know how they fight for Phoenix like so much. Mm -hmm. But I love Gary Bettman, so I'm not I'm not criticizing. I just wish they would have fought for that team as much as they did other teams. That's all. Because the community deserved it. Do you think there'll ever be another NHL team in Hartford? I hope so. I have dreams of it every day. And I will just tell you a very funny story. Gary Bettman invited my dad and I to a Bruins game. And we went up to his box. My dad was furious because I wore a golf shirt and shorts because that's all I had. And there's a bunch of people around in the room. He says, how would you like to dream like Howard dreams? And he says, he was pointing to my dad. He says, you know, he dreams of bringing a, a team back to Hartford every day. You know what I mean? And I, I, in my lifetime, I hope it comes back. I really do. Because I think it'd be nothing better. Howard, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Let people know what you're up to these days. I uh, own and operate a uh, parasail water sports uh, business in Annapolis. Uh, my dad was very blessed. He gave me two routes in life. You can be in sports or you can be in, in on the water. And I, I kind of chose both. And so I own and operate a uh, parasail business in Annapolis, Maryland.
what's it called? So people, it's people called, look you uh, uh, Z flight water sports. It's awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. And again, like we said off the top, this podcast is dedicated to keeping the memory of our favorite hockey team alive. And today, Howard, you've more than done your part. Thank you so much for taking the time. And hopefully we can do this again very, very soon. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. One more reminder. This episode has been brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. Everything from NFL and bowl season to esports. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable. We're the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite leagues and events. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BLEAV, that's B L E A V, to receive your rewards. Bet Online, where the game starts. <laughs>